Hello and welcome to In Conversation With, the monthly podcast series brought to you by the team that produced the Global Cosmetics Newsfeed. 2022's theme is Future Proof. This month's topic is Colour Cosmetics and I'm your host, Siobhan Murphy. How is the colour cosmetics industry future-proofing itself for the circular economy? A notoriously difficult product category to share, lease, reuse, repair, refurbish and recycle with. Who are the innovators and how can the legacy brands learn from their business models? To help me answer these questions and more, it is my pleasure to introduce this month's panel. Hello and welcome to Kat Turner, Chief Creative Officer and Co-Founder at Cult London. A warm welcome to Rachel Reed, Founder and CEO at Subtle Beauty. And hello to Adam Triantis, Co-Founder at Decipher. Welcome everybody. Hi, thanks for having me. Hi Siobhan, lovely to be here. Hi Siobhan, thanks for having me. Okay Kat, let's start with you. What are the social drivers Cult have been tracking that are currently influencing the future-proofing of the colour cosmetics market? Well, do you know what? It's such a good question and one that we ask ourselves and are asked by our clients all the time. So if we were to sort of look back for a moment at the past 12, 18 months, one of the biggest drivers um, in color cosmetics and in fact in in sort of beauty generally has of course been TikTok. So TikTok made me buy it. Um, <laughs> this has been a real phenomenon driven by, you know, the past couple of years of lockdown and COVID and, and consumers really turning to influence of, of social platforms more so than ever before. But TikTok has been such a big driver of that because this is a place where younger consumers, in fact, I mean, it's not even just generational, but but consumers are turning to sort of look for trends and emerging um, methodologies and hacks, life hacks. Um, and so it's everything from taking that lipstick that you would normally have for your lip, applying it to your eye, to your cheek, um, and really looking at the versatility of product. But if we look forward into 2023 and beyond, the conversation that we're having so much now is around Web3, Metaverse, and how to look at this sort of new world, if you like, of blended realities that we're having um, as part of our uh, sort of new way in which we're communicating um, with between brands and consumers. And, and that sort of reality, if you like, is blending so much more than ever before. So we're seeing like, <laughs> you know, color um, eyeshadow palettes that are influenced by Minecraft uh, collections um, that are going live or or looking at how Animal Crossing um, could could be reimagined um, as, as, a, as a color palette. So I think that th this is really an area that we, we're focusing on a lot. We've invested a lot in the ways in which we understand it as a business. I mean, uh, our starting point is always to look at how things work so that we can take clients on that journey too and offer them the opportunity to sort of be first to market or sort of embrace new technologies as part of that. So Web3 broadly would encompass everything from augmented reality. So that could be as simple as an Instagram filter where you can try um, try something on all the way through to um, sort of gaming uh, worlds, if you like. And, and I think this is a real um, place of exploration. And for, you know, for, for beauty, for, for, um, for color, this is such a fun place because this allows you to be whoever you want to be, which ultimately um, is what makeup allows you to do. So yeah, this is definitely at the, the 
the forefront of our considerations, along with how the, these digital environments will impact physical realities and, you know, that brick and mortar environment. Um, so, you, you know, I, I think we're, we're seeing um, a huge appetite for, for understanding how these two environments will blend. And talking new worlds, Rachel, what are the social drivers that subtle beauty have been tracking? You know, I think how consumers are living their lives very much drives consumption in this category. You know, we're living in a time where we have health, we have safety, and we have economic considerations. So, you know, we're all very aware of the lipstick index and, you know, how this category can fare quite well in even the most turbulent times. But I think the social driver here is really going to be in how a product aligns with somebody's lifestyle. Um, you know, to Kat's point, whether it's, you know, escapism through artistic expression, um, you know, here at Subtle, we're really focused on serving a consumer who needs more convenience, speed, and portability. And so we're doing that through packaging innovation. Um, and then you have the brands who are very mission-based and align with certain missions um, that can really favor, a, you know, a consumer who uses that as their self-identity. And at Decipher, Adam? So I think we're seeing a huge growth and rise in the celebration of individuality and the growing expectation of inclusivity in the industry. So I think if you you can look back to even 2017 and see within uh, psychological science that there was this growth in individuality um, within society as a whole. And we've seen those impacts seeping through every part of culture and now particularly in the beauty industry. And we've seen the industry respond, and this is from everything from Mac launching a male front collection uh, to ASOS with a GoPlay campaign, uh, which celebrated individuality. And then finally, you know, we can look at brands like Fenty Beauty that really completely changed the response of the industry to the ineffectiveness of darker skin tone makeup. And I think you can now see brands like Milk Makeup which are championing a completely different version of individuality and expression to that which preceded them. And the whole category is now following suit with marketing that celebrates and gives permission for consumers to celebrate their own self-expression. But it's not really just for the industry to have effective market campaigns that, uh, or marketing campaigns that legitimize and celebrate individuality, but then be presenting just the same products that they presented before. The trend's really an urgent call to arms for the cosmetics industry to really think about what the customer really needs and wants as a result of the societal shift. And we expect to see this shift in line with customer expectations where brands start to really look to solve those challenges consumers want to achieve individuality, rather than simply aiming to tell them that their desire to feel and to show themselves an individual is welcome. And we really do believe this and we see that the technology is there to be able to enable and celebrate individuals by providing them with products that are as unique as they are. Indeed. So talking self-identity, Kat, what are the digital drivers apart from TikTok that cult beauty have been tracking that are future-proofing the colour cosmetics industry? Well, as, as I mentioned, you know, the, there's this whole um, environment where we're looking at blended 
blended realities. So understanding how the time that we're spending online, whether that be, um, you know, looking at social channels or um, interacting through gaming worlds, how that is affecting um, consumer behavior. And we're seeing more and more people revealing themselves to be a gamer. Uh, you know, I, d I don't think um, it's something that that uh, carries the stigma that it perhaps previously did. And, and so that comfort level of sort of defining one's identity online, which really Really, as I said previously, you can be whoever you want to be, um, and and how that that connects um, very seamlessly with um, with beauty is is really interesting to see. I mean, if we look at how in, in most recently some some um, sort of really uh, market leading brands have been redefining how um, beauty is is looking um, and the the ways in which they are tapping into different consumer um, channels and avenues has has been transforming is has been really fascinating to see and as we look forward those digital channels are only going to be supporting that so um, yes, it's TikTok, but it's also looking at um, different channels that that um, are really more akin to what consumers' needs are. So uh, Rachel mentioned there, you know, that that convenience um, and an understanding consumer that is what is of a, a, a primary fo focus for a consumer. So you know, making sure that it feels relevant to their lifestyle, their environment, their ethical beliefs, um, where where they stand, and what and the brands that they want to support. So um, so so the digital channels are really facilitators for that. And you can see consumers moving at rapid pace to evolve past what I would define as more traditional digital channels, such as, I don't know, the Facebook or the LinkedIn of your um, moving forward into, um, into to channels that are yeah, much more aligned to their lifestyle and to their, to their beliefs. And what are the digital drivers for your brand, Rachel? Yeah, I think kind of moving down the funnel, it would be difficult to gloss over the impact that e-commerce has had on this industry. You know, our brand uh, is very much primarily direct to consumer. We sell online and we've been able to, you know, leverage this e-commerce world to reach people that we would have never been able to reach at our, you know, stage in the company. And so I think that, uh, access and uh, shopping enablement through online has really allowed brands to grow brands that would have perhaps not been able to get as big as they have um, and less reliant on the larger sort of more traditional media and advertising outlets. So I think that uh, any brand who is looking to sort of future proof in this space really should have a strong e-commerce piece, even if it's not primary, um, because, you know, at least for us, it, it has been really great. And for your brand, Adam? So, I mean, we've we've seen, obviously, these huge tech and science revolutions across multiple categories in the last 20 years. And now this is getting into beauty. Now, beauty technology historically has been a bit gimmicky. And the in many ways, it's reduced the consumer expectation of technology in the space. Um, because of poor experiences in the past. And we, this can be everything from uh, poor virtual try-ons in the past to very poor shade matching. Um, and this has been changed somewhat by some ex exceptions like Il Maquillage, who've been, been able to help people with shade matching and, and improve their experience. But generally speaking, it's been quite low quality and riddled with failure. And what's kind of fascinating to us is that all these cases of the technology has not been used to make a completely new change to the industry, but really to make 
the existing experience of of buying beauty in the digital space less bad. And there's really a huge opportunity for color cosmetics brands to think more like tech companies and actually say, how can tech fundamentally change that we change the way that we buy beauty? Um, and as AI advances and technology advances in the space, it really is a exciting time for for beauty to kind of embrace technology. I think looking outside of our particular sphere, I think the impact of web 3.0 and the metaverse is going to be uh, very interesting for the beauty industry as a whole, if a little bit intangible as to what it's going to be at this stage. Um, but whether that's going to be brands offering digital versions of their products so consumers can wear that shade on their digital self, or if it's the ability to customize their digital avatars in a way that helps express themselves uh, as an individual, it's going to be very exciting to see. Indeed. And Cap. What are the environmental drivers Cult Beauty have been tracking that are impacting the future-proofing of colour cosmetics market? So um, it, it's interesting that you you raise this question because just the other day I was thinking, ah, you know, we, we talk so much about the provenance of, of fashion these days, you know, where, where products were made, where the resources came from, um, and, and sort of unpacking that, um, that provenance story for fashion, of which it's really at its infancy. So it's, it's, um, it's something which has a long way to go. But what we're seeing is consumers asking those questions and being facilitated and being um, sort of furnished with that information. They are changing their shopping habits. And this for me is as it really connects to beauty because it is inherently the questions that we ask is, you know, where did this come from? How was it made? Where was the source from? Like, you know, all of these questions. Um, and the reason why those are environmental is because I think what, um, again, the past two years showed us is that that can shut down very quickly when you have a supply chain that is coming from, you know, uh, it's, it's an international supply chain, let's say. So you might have a formulation that comes from Italy and packaging that comes from um uh, from China and how do you get those two things together uh, to then market to an American consumer you know the, the knock-on effect of that and how that has affected both supply chain and and keeping up with the demand and you know I mentioned that like TikTok made me buy earlier I know many of our clients who struggled to meet that demand because they weren't able to sort of keep keep up with that so I think this question around environmental factors is so much more pertinent than ever before um, and of course we've seen and, and perhaps we'll come on to it um, a little bit further but you know we've seen much greater demand for consumers for um for plant-based and uh vegan uh, uh formulations and products and we're seeing more so than ever before that brands are pursuing if not um, already, uh, you know, certified B Corp. And these are real drivers for consumers, specifically for younger consumers who will shop based on this type of certification and these type of environmental considerations. So whereas um, it might have been that this was relatively niche just five years ago, now this is like a very big part of the considerations that consumers have. And so, yeah, looking at environmental trends, I can only see that this is going to become 
much more at the forefront of consumer considerations when they're looking at brands to buy. And, you know, that's an opportunity for colour because I think it's uh, it's a really, a, a, you know, a place for exploration um, and, and self-expression. And therefore that self-expression is going to extend to the provenance of the brand and the, the, the you know, the ethics behind it. And so I think it's, yeah, it's a huge opportunity for, for colour cosmetics to remain aligned with consumers and even guide the way because oftentimes, you know, consumers are not aware of what's possible until they begin to see this type of narrative around something which has historically been seen as sort of frivolous. This is now quite important and powerful and even political. And talking powerful brands, Rachel, what are the environmental drivers for your brand? Yeah, I mean, really piggybacking off of what Cass said, I think the global climate crisis will really inform how brands navigate the next 10 to 15 years. You know, we're experiencing a period of time where consumers have a very real and very loud say in how a brand exists in the world, even if government oversight is lacking. So at least for us, you know, and other cosmetic brands um, who are looking to build for longevity, really need to be thinking about how the impact their packaging and logistics practices have on the environment and need to make some very fast changes. You know, uh, Estee Lauder set their own goal that by 2025, 100% of their packaging will be recyclable, refillable, or reusable. And smaller brands need to take that timeline seriously because by 2025, recycled packaging will be the standard and will be as expected as, say, you know, cruelty-free formulas. And at Decipher, Adam? So I think we can we can look at it from, at the industry level, there's kind of three core parts, and that's really looking at the reduction in waste and particularly packaging, what the ingredients are that go into products, and generally just the amount of product that's there. So if we look at the foundation market, the practices of the industry are, and the system that the industry uses generate a huge amount of waste. And we're locked in a system, or the, the industry has been locked in a system for a very long time, which requires production at very high volumes of products that will never all be consumed. And you can see this across the supply chain that something between 30 to 40% of all product is wasted. And this starts in the factory where raw materials aren't used up and are, and are, are sent to landfill. Um, to losses in store and then in home. And I think it's something that's uh, quite terrifying when you can see the um, on the balance sheet of large organizations lines for specifically for the, uh, the crushing of uh, waste cosmetics. And we believe that this can be changed by using personalization and also smarter sampling to remove this kind of accepted error from the system. And we don't need to look at this as a compromise. And in our case, it's about providing a better and more personalized experience so that the customer outcome is almost too good to be true, but at the same time, reducing waste in the system. And for us, because we can reduce waste, it means our end product can be cheaper for the consumer. And if we can do that, there's really no reason why others can't also pioneer approaches in the industry to solve those problems. Um, that they see within what they're doing. And I think generally speaking, as an industry, we probably produce too much product. And we package it in ways which are not really sustainable long-term. And as an industry, we need to kind of look at this collectively quite urgently. So 
if you look at some of the stats, TerraCycle estimates that estimates that cosmetics uses up to 120 billion units of plastic packaging every year. Um, and you do see brands trying to address this. So L'Oreal are committed to getting to 0% of their packaging using virgin plastic by 2030. And other smaller companies like Act, the deodorant brand, uh, eliminating plastic. And we know, and we also experience as a brand, some known issues such as the fact that plastic pumps are incredibly hard to recycle due to the multi-component parts and we as a brand also are looking to address those things and see how can we get to a stage where our products are working kind of in tandem with the the environment so that we our impact is as negligible as, as possible while allowing uh, consumers to be able to celebrate their individuality and their beauty uh, and having a great experience. So Kat, talking waste, what are the regulations Cult have been tracking that are currently aiding or betting the future-proofing of the colour cosmetics market? Well, it's a good question, Siobhan. I mean, I think ultimately, you know, touching what Adam has just been saying there, there's so many components that form parts of colour cosmetics packaging. So from cylinders and pumps, caps these all of these components are often made of different materials too so really trying to understand the the um, provenance of all of this um the, these different materials to allow us to understand first and foremost recycling but secondly refillability has really taken um sort of taken a turn I remember over 10 years ago discovering a makeup brand which sadly doesn't exist anymore um but it had re refillable lipstick and eyeshadow palettes and I was like this is amazing you know how you have these wonderful cases that you could like pop the inserts out and refill um and, but it was so niche at the time there just wasn't the traction there and the cost was a factor that really affected um the sort of success of that brand but fast forward to where we are now and where we're looking um you know the regulation around different recyclable materials is something which is very hard for, for global brands to navigate because each um, location has a different sort of level of um, recyclability. Nevertheless, consumers are asking for that. They're really looking for um, products that are low impact, that are able to be easily easy, easily easily even recycle, recycled, um, but also refilled or added to um, so that you can have that that sort of flexibility. I mean, you know, sec secondarily to that, I think that, um, you know, the likes of accreditations, which um, sort of certify the um, the backstory of the product are really important, remain really important. So, you know, we're very familiar with the Leaping Bunny um, in different markets. They call that different things, but essentially cruelty-free products not and not testing on animals. That remains something which is so important to consumers. And we might call it different things. So from some, they might call, um, call that uh, cruelty-free. Others, they might call it vegan, but they aren't the same thing. You know, a vegan formulation is something without any animal product um, and any any animal products, whereas obviously cruelty free talks about the the testing um, process. So those two things remain very important. And then there's also a really interesting space where we're looking at different types of product packaging, um, which might be everything from mycel mycelium, which is being used for sort of like packaging products for shipping, um, or like highly recycled plastic materials, which are forming components that can be used in different ways. So once you finished like that 
jar of product, you might be able to sort of use that functionally in a different way. So we're looking at understanding how we use these products um, in a different way. But the regulations around this shift market to market, so understanding how um, the consumer receives that might be affected by the kind of like the local governance that surrounds that. But certainly these are questions that consumers are asking a lot and wanting to buy more of. And so I can only see that in the next uh, few years, this is going to be something which is much more at the forefront. Um, and I think where that's going to impact or sort of like hit home the most is what I would kind of like to find as fast beauty. So those um, more like a store bought or like high street brands, which, um, which really are like being very pushed on price point. And, and it's very hard to have those two things go hand in hand. It's not impossible, but, but that's where I think there's a real opportunity to sort of erode uh, like some of that um, wastage that comes from, um, from the beauty industry and look at how that can be addressed because consumers are asking for it. And, it, you know, interesting what both Rachel and Adam have been saying on this subject already. I think that that's something which is, evidently reflected in their their product offering as well and for your brand subtle beauty rachel what are the regulations that are aiding and abetting it yes yeah, so you know here in the u.s we continue to experience a real lack of regulation but consumers are doing an excellent job at holding brands accountable and closing the gap that has been left by our government oversight so you know it's subtle we're active participants participants in conversations with our customers, understanding what matters to them and how we can deliver the best product through our own self-regulation. Indeed. And at Decipher, accountability, Adam. The interesting area for how regulations and accountability kind of line up with Decipher is that Decipher is, a, by definition, a very transparent brand. We are putting together individual components of ingredients specifically in, in different formulations or different arrays for each individual consumer. So we really pride ourselves on actually saying, well, what's in the products? What are those things looking to achieve on, on kind of why are they there and why do we do what we do? I think as a general rule, regulations are an interesting place for uh, customized and custom-made beauty because the regulatory sphere has been designed around this system of uh, mass production of products and it has never really when they were designed there was never really a thought process to say that actually cosmetics may be produced on a custom level but in a fairly mass way um, and as such navigating some of those um, some of those regulatory hurdles can be a challenge for brands but again if we as Decipher are able to do it, other brands are also able to do it. I, I think it's interesting to touch on what uh, what Rachel said about the lack of um, regulation in the US. I think the UK is slightly different now post-Brexit, but follows most of the lead from Europe. And I think Europe actually has quite a, um, a good regulatory sphere and is continuously pushing the boundaries on, uh, on the colour cosmetics market particularly. So... We're now seeing this uh, push by the European agencies to remove some of the cyclic silicons, which have a, a huge role in uh, in foundations um, due to environmental concerns. And, and the industry, uh, to its credit, is actually responding quite well, despite it being quite a technical hurdle, um, to look at how can they use alternative ingredients that have a lower environmental footprint. 
and I think as a general rule, I'd say that you know all regulations are are in in the main a benefit where they enhance uh, the experience and the usability for consumers. Mm. And finally, Kat, what will the colour cosmetics market look like in twelve months' time? Oh, it's such a good question. I'm just getting my crystal ball out now to have a look. Um, you know. Honestly, I would love to see, uh, you know, a lot of what we've been speaking about today come to fruition. So when we talk about identity, uh, you know, changes in consumer behaviors that are guided by ethical viewpoints, uh, I'd love to see that come to fruition so that we are seeing much more of this conversation happening around provenance of brands, where where brands and identity are fusing together. And of course, you know, I obviously have a big leaning towards seeing how this comes to life in digital environments. I think that we're going to see more and more how beauty is interpreted in digital realms you know we've we've seen recently the rise in lots of um, AI defining sort of like different visual identities all of that it has been uh, like uh, it brought to life if you like by existing tropes which is why we have so many biases that are built into that I would love for us to be challenging that and seeing how um, we're able to in essence, continue to redefine what beauty is. And Color Cosmetics has a real role to play in that, you know, providing something which, uh, providing a, a collection, if you like, of different, not just products, but ways in for beauty expression, self-expression. And I was really looking at blurring all of those lines, whether it be from identity and, and looking at how we um, bring sort of the non-binary nature that our culture is shifting towards through, through, all the way through to um, to the, the the product outcome. Um, I know this is a lot of blue sky thinking, but I, yeah, I would love to for us to see that that sense of self expression continue to be elevated through um, through beauty. And talking redefining the industry, Rachel, what does the color cosmetics market look like for you guys in twelve months' time? Yeah, so you know the data that we've been tracking shows that daily makeup usage is down. And my guess is the pandemic shifted our makeup consumption habits probably for years to come, you know, but it's not all doom and gloom. Overall makeup usage is up and can be seen in the weekly and monthly usage trends. So, you know, us especially, and I think brands overall who are focused on quick, easy and effortless makeup routines will, will really win in this category. And uh, Decipher, Adam, what does the 12 months look like? I think we'll see this uh, ever closer merging of, of of digital technology and beauty. And I think this will come together in terms of those core consumer drivers that we were talking about earlier. So consumers are looking for transparency and that can be seen through reviews, looking up ingredients, um, also the choices that they make in terms of where do they look for their interactions with brands? And this, I, ex- I expect there to be a uh, continued acceleration away from maybe what we'd call legacy platforms like Instagram into uh, the world of TikTok, which is very much more based around individuality on the real person that you are and about showing you. Um, and I think we will from a from a kind of uh, an overall industry point of view i think we're obviously going to see the impact of the current economic cycle that we're in um and as, as particularly in the uk as discretionary spending's kind of reined in um but i think it will be interesting and i think what we'll see is a um much like rachel said i think brands that are able to provide 
experiences that enhance their uh, their customers' um, use of, of beauty to express themselves are going to do very well. Um, I think brands or parts of the industry which maybe are producing more throwaway products that are uh, try once and, and never go back again will, will struggle. And I think as, be- as beauty consumers become more and more discerning and they're, uh, they, they feel the pinch, I think being a, being a brand that can provide products that people will use every day and will want to continue to use for maybe the rest of their lives will really stand those brands uh, in good stead. And I think finally, I'd just say it's going to be very exciting to see how uh, Sephora do in the UK and whether they have um, a, a very good impact on the British high street and actually, again, help bring the kind of the coalescing of uh, digital and uh, physical um, through their kind of omni-channel experience um, onto the high street and kind of bring up the level for other other retailers here in the UK. And with that, I would like to thank my guests, Kat, Adam and Rachel for joining me today and to you for listening. 